It turned me off. <laughs> um, if you would like to open your Bibles to First Samuel chapter 12. That's First Samuel chapter 12. I'll be reading from verses 1 to 5 and then I'll skip over to 24. Samuel said to all Israel, I have listened to everything you said to me and have set a king over you. Now you have a king as your leader. As for me, I am old and gray, and my sons are here with you. I have been your leader from my youth until this day. Here I stand. Testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? If I have done any of these things, I will make it right. You have not cheated or oppressed us, they replied. You have not taken anything from anyone's hand. Samuel said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and also his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And verse 24, But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Amen. Thanks, Sarah. Oh, thank you to Diane and Imogen and Eli and Bruce and all of the people that were just here serving us. Um, yeah, we're an intergenerational family here at Kwan Life, and this morning, I think we've had people from a whole range of intergenerations, and I, I really enjoy that, and I enjoy hearing those little sounds now. That's our future. So, yes, it might interrupt us sometimes, but that's our future. And you might, even if you listen quietly, you might hear a, hear a hey occasionally. So good morning. I just want to pray for us. Father, thank you for creating each of us as unique expressions of your character. Thank you for the life you give and the peace you bring to a world that is struggling with pain and suffering. We recognize that we fall short of your standard. Our love for others is a shadow of your love for us. Help us to love those you have placed in our path. Help us to love other members of this body of believers here on the Sunshine Coast and help the love we show point others to you. We bring Del Payne's family to you this morning. We think of Bill and Paul who are part of the Kiwana Life family, but there are also other family members who are grieving. Give them a special sense of your presence over the next few days, weeks and months. Help us to support them in their physical and emotional and spiritual needs at this time. Lord, help us to be open to your word today. Help us to understand more about your character and provoke us this week to act out your character with those we meet. Father, we give you glory. The fact that you loved us even while we still rejected you is staggering to the mind. Help us to continue to turn our hearts and minds to you and your will. Let us not think of our talents or our skills are what you are after. You want us and we give to you our thoughts, our desires, and our lives. Bless us with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people. 
so that we may work for justice, freedom, and peace. And we love you heaps. Amen. So that's another thing that is available for you to do and serve here at, at Koan Life. Um, I wrote that prayer. You can find a prayer online. We can talk about it. But to have other people, your voices, um, up the front here, not just mine and Donnie's and, and the music teams, they've got avenues, but we want to give you an avenue to come up and, and pray as, as a representative of this body of believers. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Too many pieces of paper this morning. Hello to everyone online. Um, we're trying with the sound. Um, bear with us. I hope that you have had a week walking with Jesus. It's been a week since Dan stood up here and gave us some pretty challenging words. How did you go? I know that what Dan said is true. I know that Jesus calls us to serve, even our enemies. And I know that's where I should be. But honestly, I don't know I'm strong enough. It's a huge ask, but that's the call of Jesus, to love our neighbours. So this one's going to be a wrestle for me, an ongoing wrestle. Maybe for some of you, maybe some of you nailed it this week and managed to love your enemies. But this is the Christian life. So when I say to you, I hope that you've had a week walking with Jesus, I don't mean, I don't envision you walking on the beach laughing and skipping with Jesus. That might be a week you have with Jesus. But I also mean that I hope that Jesus is working in your life, transforming you into a new person, a person who sees the world like Jesus sees the world. And this will quite often go against something really deep inside us. My hope is that you struggle with what Jesus says. That you are internally wrestling with how Jesus tells us to view the world. And we're going to explore that a bit more this morning. And we're going to do so through the life of a prophet, Samuel. I've chosen a very small part to look at because there's so much I could have done this morning, and you know that. But I'm going to start by sharing a story from a man named Joel McCarrow. So Joel is an author, a poet, an educator, and a Jesus follower. And it starts with Joel realizing that he needs some time out away from people. That resonated with me when I started reading this story. He needed a spiritual retreat to reset his mind, body, and soul. So he jumped in his car with his tent and he drove off towards a camping area he'd been told about. And on the, way, on the way, he had to fill up his gas bottle for the cooking and the like. But this stop, which was supposed to be five minutes, ended up taking about an hour because things kept going wrong. And this caused frustration for Joel because this delay meant that he, was, he had less time to find that perfect camping spot and he ended up driving past the spot that he'd been told about there's a fear of missing out attitude. I said, Maybe there's a better one just around the corner. And he kept driving and 
ended up getting angry and thumping the steering wheel and going, oh, it's too late, and turns the car around, returns back to the original campsite that he was told about. And as he was walking from his car, he recalls thinking, twice already on a supposed spiritual retreat, I had found myself lost in a negative space. My thoughts turned to self-judgment about, how, about ever having the spiritual depth I'd desired. I ripped into myself for failing already on this weekend away. Those harsh inward gaze. And then he finally, he walks through, he finally comes to a spot, which is perfect. The small patch of grass on the side of a small creek. It's the thing he'd envisioned the whole time. And there was no one else around. So as the sun went down that night at the creek, the clouds came over and it started to rain. I sat under the tarpaulin, pulled down over the front of my tent and lit a few candles, watching them chase away the dark. I watched the bugs too. They saw the candlelight and, as is their way, came closer and closer. The light addictive. They did not realise the danger. One after another, burnt, dead bugs fell into the pooling wax of the red candle. Couldn't they see their fixation was killing them? I pitied them. Until I saw myself in them. My fixations. The expectations I hold and can't seem to let go of. Gas bottle stops that are meant to take five minutes not wanting to miss out on the perfect camping spot, my compulsions. I blew out the candle as a prayer. And as I sat there, I finally came to the point of truly looking at my inner life. One thing I did fail to mention was there is a a sermon bingo card on the back table back there where you, find, you listen to me and you find some words that I'm saying. And if you get all of the words, then I've got some chocolates upstairs to hand out to any winners. Dead bugs might have been on that list. There might have been some other ones on that list <laughs> that I've already said this morning. But that story resonated with me. I wonder what your fixations are. Like Joel, do you have expectations that you can't let go of? Simple tasks that take longer than you expected or or fear of missing out on something? I know I do. And I know my inner life is often a mess. And this morning I want us to begin this work of looking at our inner lives, not the harsh gaze of self-judgment that Joel talks about in his anger but the true self-reflection and recognition that what we need is God's messy grace. This is what I'm talking about when I say spiritual formation. It's not a new term. I didn't make it up. That would be lovely if I did. I could make a lot of money from all the books that have been written about it. It's basically our journey of aligning ourselves with God's will. If you put it in one sentence, it sounds simple, doesn't it? But it's a journey. And this journey is difficult. It involves climbing difficult paths and going through dark valleys, 
But this is the work of the Christian, to surrender everything to Jesus. Our spiritual formation is this. How we do anything is how we do everything. I reckon most of us here this morning are familiar with the story of Samuel. So here's a quick rundown of what you should know. His mother Hannah prayed for a child and God answered her, so she named him Samuel, which means God has heard. Samuel was first called by God as a boy and was taken, was tasked with telling the priest some pretty troubling news about his sons. It was Samuel who anointed the first and second kings of Israel, Saul and King David. He even, even though he disagreed with Israel wanting a human king. Samuel led Israel to military victory. And then there was a strange story involving Saul, a witch. Was she an Ewok? We don't know. And Samuel's ghostly figure, rebuking Saul for calling him back from the dead. (laughs) I had all of this to work with this week. (laughs) This man, Samuel, had an amazing life that was full of highs and lows. But the story of Samuel that I think most staggering is his farewell speech, which we heard Sarah read so beautifully earlier. This is a man who has journeyed with God and somehow remained faithful as a man of integrity through his whole life. So Samuel says to Israel, I have been your leader from my youth until this day. Here I stand. Testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make my eyes Shut. If I have done any of these things, I will make it right. Do those things sound a bit strange to your ears? They did when I read it, so I had to look into it. Why is he talking specifically about ox and donkeys and bribes shutting his ears? So if we compare this with Exodus 20, verse 14 and the following few, you shall not commit adultery... You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's ox, nor his donkey, nor anything of your neighbor's. And then in Deuteronomy 16, verse 19, do not pervert justice or show partiality. Do not accept the bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the innocent. Follow justice and justice alone, so you may live and possess the land your God has given you. Okay, makes more sense now to me. (laughs) Did that help? Because all of the things that Samuel lists are stipulations of the covenant. And some of these laws are about the inner life, the heart attitude. Was Samuel the kind of leader who wanted to be seen about doing the right thing while he was holding an attitude and forming actions for selfish gain. No. How Samuel behaved in public was how Samuel behaved in his private life. We can get caught up with these big events in Samuel's life and think, I want to be just like Samuel. Part of the inner circle of powerful people, someone who gets things done, someone who wins battles, that's who I want to be. But at the end of Samuel's life, in a final address to the people, Samuel's not concerned with all of these external things. Samuel's concerned with covenant faithfulness. 
not the appearance of external success. He even says, if I've done any of these things, I will make it right. He's still willing to make things right. Samuel was consistently looking truthfully and honestly at his inner life, which was the original point of the covenant laws and sacrifices. Israel was supposed to obey the laws, which would hopefully lead their hearts to be right with God. And if they had to do a sacrifice, it was meant to lead them back to having a right heart before God. Samuel's inner life was in order. And now he's encouraging the people of Israel to make, their, make sure their hearts were right before God. This is the role of the prophet, to point to the covenant and covenant faithfulness. And when needed, to call people back to live to covenant faithfulness. They're kind of like the referees. I used a sporting analogy. They're like the referees of the covenant. They're there to, they were there to point out when Israel was off, off task, not playing by the rules. And there were even a few times when, when this being a referee involved Samuel calling out those in power. The first thing God tells Samuel to do was to confront the priest that he'd been living with and tell the priest that his sons were not very nice people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Later, Samuel has to confront the king and say, you know what you just did? That's not on. And here we get in a trap we fall into when we read the Bible and we often see ourselves as the hero of the story. And like I said before, we say we want to be like Samuel. So I was like, yes, I should be like Samuel. But I'm going to tell you that's very rarely the case of we the hero of the story. Maybe we should rather see ourselves in the people of Israel. So we turn that around and we say, I am like the people of Israel. And we see this passage isn't saying be like Samuel, but rather it's saying that we need to listen to what Samuel is saying to the people. Samuel was given to Israel as an example, but we are not the hero of the story. We are the people in need of a saviour. Later on in chapter 12, we see Samuel addressing Israel. They recognised that they had sinned. They had asked for a king when God was supposed to be their king. And Samuel called them to repentance. Samuel urged the people to serve the Lord in all their heart. And he warned them, after, warned them of following after false idols. We're not Samuel in this story. We're Israel. People who are prone to following after their own desires. People who are looking for their own king. People with their own ideas of how things should be. Samuel encourages the people to look to their inner lives with honesty and integrity. Don't pretend everything is all right, because it's not. But it is not the end. God has a plan. God has a plan to redeem humanity. God has a plan to redeem us. Are we as aware of our sinfulness? Have we, maybe not literally, but figuratively, asked for a human king or followed after a human king 
or prime minister or president or ruler? Have we sought our own solutions to problems rather than to listen to Jesus? The answer is yes, isn't it? We tend to like the kings and rulers of this world, especially when their policies and beliefs, they match us personally, so I like that one. I'll follow, I'll follow him or her. And there's something strangely alluring about their power. And if I can get close to that power... And we distance ourselves from our behaviour, don't we? I know, I know that thing that is wrong. I know it's, I know it's wrong, but when, when I did it just now, well, there's good reason why I just did that just now. It's not, I, know, I know that's wrong, but it's not wrong for me to do it now. Has anyone else done that? There's two people that are honest. <laughs> that's my attitude. That's my attitude laid before me. We love to create and exploit loopholes. But this is where, where, where messy grace comes in, doesn't it? We are full of contradictions. We know that what Jesus has told us, and yet something inside us struggles. Now, we're not under the old covenant. Not all of the old covenant laws apply to us, which is why we don't have to sacrifice animals. Thank goodness because I don't know if I could do that either. We can wear clothing of mixed fabric. I'm pretty sure I am today. We can even get tattoos. <gasps> if you so desired. You have to ask your parents, so Dave, I'm not giving you permission to do that. <laughs> we are under the new covenant. And we have the example of Samuel in the Old Testament but we have the example of Jesus. Jesus left us with commands and Jesus left us with no loopholes. Love God and love your neighbour. That's the command we're under. Love God and love your neighbour. All the loopholes have kind of been tested. Some of them we've got tested in the, old, in the New Testament for us. Ah, oh, but who's my neighbour? Um, everybody you come into contact with, including your enemies. And as Dan showed us last week, we have the opportunity to, to love our enemies probably more often than we like to admit. But what is love really? Ah, oh, this is a fluffy feeling. How can I make myself love someone really? So I... I how can I obey that command? Well, interestingly, the word love that we have in Greek is agape. And it has a very specific meaning. So when we say love your neighbor, maybe we should start saying agape your neighbor and agape your enemy. Because it means to act in a way that seeks the best for somebody. So regardless for how I feel about you, I can act in a way that is for your best interests. I don't have to have a nice fluffy feeling about you. I can still act in a way that is for your best interest. And how do I love God? <laughs> by loving your neighbour. By loving your enemy. By living in this world by the standard of love 
agape and not the standard of this present evil age. And this is the work of spiritual formation. I keep saying that it's kind of my thing. That's my pastor role here is associate pastor for spiritual formation and a few other things that fit under spiritual formation. You know everything I've told you this morning. I don't think I've told you anything new. How are you going with putting it into practice? Have you found yourself explaining why you can't possibly love that person? They voted for X. She believes Y. He did Z to me. How you do anything is how you do everything is an interesting statement. Because it tells us that the way we approach the seemingly insignificant things, the small things, the way we approach those small things is how we approach the big things, whether we like it or not. How well you love your neighbour is how well we love God. And this is the problem for modern church. We are very good at having someone like myself get up each week and talk about the Bible. And we sit there and we nod and say, yes, I agree. And then we shake the pastor's hand at the end and say, that was a very good sermon. Thank you very much. And if you don't see, I know the difference. When, when I haven't given a good sermon, I don't get anything, nothing. No, not a thing. <laughs> you just all stay silent and sheepishly walk out the door. But <laughs> we do this, but that's not Christianity. Many churchgoers, and most of you, I, I would say, would know a lot of Bible verses. And many churchgoers love to quote the Bible verses. I've even seen Bible verses quoted aggressively and argumentatively and adversarially, three A words, argumentatively, aggressively, and adversarially on social media. I find that interesting. Is that really seeking their best? But that is not Christianity either. What I'm about to do is rare, so take note. I'm going to use a lengthy sporting analogy. I am a football player. I love football. Can you tell? Because every week I get together with other people who play football, we gather together and we have like a rock band do, do covers of all of our favourite Aussie rock songs and we sing them loud. It's really quite inspiring. And then the coach, and this guy's gone to college to study football, he gets up. He knows so much about football and he gives an amazing talk about the ins and outs of football. He talks about the history of football. He knows, uh, he talks about strategies and different equipment and training ideas about football. And then we have a cuppa and we go home. I love football. Have I ever played a game? Oh. Well, you know, oh, there's fanatics out there. They, they kind of play the game. Like they go out on the field, but, you know, injuries happen all the time. And you don't actually have to get on the field to be a footballer. That's what I love about football. 
Does that work? <laughs> Would you really consider someone who behaved like that to, to be a footballer or someone a football player? <laughs> no. But does it sound familiar? Why do we do that with Christianity? Why do we do that with following Jesus? Do we treat people like the prophet Samuel like like footballers of history? We learn about them, fantastic. I now know Samuel was a prophet and I can talk about him. To call someone a football player requires them actually playing football. There might be other names you can give someone who just watches football and all that stuff, but they're, they're not a football player, are they? To call oneself a Christian requires actually living like Jesus. Can you guys come up and maybe... I'm going to do it, even if they don't like it. So, um, <laughs> And maybe do the, the thing you did um, where there was, you played... And the girls here, yeah, did the humming. <laughs> Seamless. Seamless. I had, I had a note here to try and sneak over there and say something to them before I came up. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> are we going to listen to the prophet Samuel today? If we are the people of God listening to God and God has spoken through his prophet are we going to listen to Samuel today or was all that you came here for to listen to another message that was something to do with Christianity and to sing some inspiring songs about Jesus if not what are you going to do so I want to give you a tool and I got this tool from someone like Joel McCarra he's given me a lot of these tools I use Because you are figuratively going out onto the football field when you leave here this morning. As soon as you walk out that door, you have a choice of being a Christian and living your life like Christ has instructed us to. But this is only a reflective tool. It only works if we are doing. So it's a reflective tool on what we are doing. So we have to be doing to use this tool. And it's a spiritual exercise called the examine, I've never heard it said out loud, I've only seen it written down. Possibly the examine. Some people do this every day. I think that'd be a fantastic thing to do. But I think if you did it once today, that's a fantastic thing to do. If you do it once a week, that's a fantastic thing to do. So get rid of our distractions. Stop. Maybe think about your body posture. I don't want to tell you how to sit, but sit in an open posture to God. How are you going to say to God, I'm open to you speaking today? Father, we thank you for your great love. We put aside everything this morning that's on our mind. 
We put aside everything that happened this morning before we came to church, all the things that are rushing into our brain. We put them aside now and listen to you. And as Samuel said as a young boy, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I want you to think about this last week since Dan spoke to us about what Jesus calls us to do. This week, when, when did you feel closest to God? What, what were you doing? What were you not doing? When did you feel furthest from God? What were you doing? What were you not doing? Pick one of those things. It could be one of the things where you felt close to God. Or it could be one of the times that you were thinking about that you felt furthest from God. And, and think of that one instance. Trying to remember everything you can about it. How were you feeling? Anything. Did you smell things? What were you touching? Anything that brings back the memory of what was going on around you. If it was something that you did that, that made you feel close to God. How are you going to go into this week to do that more? If it was one of those times where you felt furthest from God. What are you going to do this week so that doesn't happen again? What's going to change in your week so you don't find yourself in that situation again? Hey Elijah, can you put on the last slide for me? hope that you can continue thinking about that this week. I've got copies of the examen examine here. For those who want to try it at home, you can Google it too. But as we close, I want to finish with a different benediction to what we read here often. And if you can, read it with me. And then we'll finish with the final song, guys. So let's read Jude 3, verses 24 to 25. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, 
power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forever. Amen.